by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Isn't church fun? Oh, man. <clears throat> so, we made it to uh, week number five of our series. It's the end of our series. It's the end of the year. It's the last service of the year. Uh, it's been a good year, and it's been a good series. Somebody say amen. amen. The signs of the times. And uh, even as you watch that video, you can see that people are angry. People are passionate about stuff. There's, there's a movement for almost everything, and people are willing to give their lives for these movements, right? Their time, their effort, their resources, everything that they have to fight for what they believe in. I think one of the greatest signs of the times is a one-track mind that thinks that their issue is the issue. Like, isn't that the sign of our times? Like, like people get tunnel vision about whatever it is that they're passionate about, and that's all that really matters to them. That's their reason for waking up. That's what they think about when they go to bed. And the other movements and the other things that are going on in the world aren't necessarily that important to folks. If we think that our issues are the issues, I believe the Lord that I believe that the Lord can shine a light that can help us see things more clearly as we end 2017, as we enter into 2018. Let me just be the first to tell you, let me be the last to tell you in 2017 and, and the first to tell you as you enter into 2018, your issues are not the issues. Your issues are not the issues. My issues are not the issues. Uh, God has something that, that uh, he wants us to be aware of. So why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for... Uh, what you've done in this year, Lord, we thank you for the testimonies that came forth uh, earlier this morning, Lord, just in regards to uh, the daily miracles that you do, God, breathing life into our lungs, uh, giving us hope, giving us family, giving us relationships and friendships, giving us a place to come to, uh, to worship you, Lord, to come to know you more, Father God. We thank you for prayer, Lord. We thank you that we always have access to you, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to use that access, Lord, to call upon your name, to set aside time, to, uh, to ask you to speak to us, Lord, to put into action the things that we say that we believe, Father God. In this uh, uh, last day of the year, Lord God, we pray also for the safety of those that we love and that we care for, Lord. Uh, on a day that should be uh, a time of celebration, Lord, we know that we always wake up on the first day of the year and hear about those who have lost their lives on the roads and out and about, Father God. So we just pray right now for your protection 
um, just your grace and your mercy, Father God. Just have your way over this, this, this service, this message, Lord. Uh, we love you. We thank you that we're here uh, on the last day of the year, that uh, you are our priority, Lord, first thing in the morning, Father God. And we pray that it would be the same tomorrow on the first day of the year. And when we get to the 2000, end of 2018, Lord God, that you would still be our focus and our priority. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So the, there's a statement that there's an elephant in the room. That's something that you avoid, but everybody knows that it's there. This morning, there's more than an elephant in the room. There's a giant blue whale that could swallow 40 elephants. I did a lot of research on whales. Matter of fact, Raven, you got a picture? I, lit, I did research on these, these whales, and obviously they're the biggest things on the planet. This is the size of a blue whale. See that little person down there? That's you and your issues. Then you've got a car, and then this rail train car, then you've got a full court basketball court, and then you've got this whale that literally right now, they're all over the place out in the ocean. They're huge, absolutely humongous, bigger than any dinosaur that you've ever heard of or ever, ever seen. They're the biggest things on the planet. So when it comes to these issues that we want to seem so big and we get so loud about them and we have our picket signs and we have this stance that we take, we put our stake in the ground for, we really need perspective that they're not as big as you might think that they are. Sometimes people aren't protesting and making a lot of noise and being seen and making sure that, that their issue uh, rubs up against other people so that they recognize their issue. Sometimes uh, the protest is a silent protest. Sometimes you, you and I have made up in our minds what's important and whether we say it to the world or not, our actions speak louder than words. It's easy when somebody's yelling, screaming, or they're on TV, or they're kneeling at a game, or whatever that protest is, sometimes it's harder to see that all of us are protesting something. All of us have uh, put our stake in the ground and said, this is the issue of life. This is what's important. And our actions are what declare that protest. In life, the whale is Jesus. And he wants to consume all the other protests and all the other movements all the other things that we put our, our stock into and we put our focus into, the Lord wants to come and he'll just consume those things. When you thought they were big, he shows you that he's bigger. Amen. He dwarfs them. Amen. When you allow him to, when you, when you see him for who he is and what he is, these other issues of life become quite small. He shines a light in these areas and then we begin to ask ourselves, are these things worth fighting for even at all? Some protests are worth fighting for, and some are not. Some battles for justice are worth fighting for, and some battles are not really for justice at all. It's a perverted view of justice. When Christ comes, he shines this light, uh, and it's like a, a purging light. If you, as a matter of fact, I have a scripture for you. It's, it's uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. So we have these movements. So when Christ comes along and, and rubs up against your movement or your passion or whatever it is, he shines this holy light on it. And what that does is it purges away all of the human sin that we put onto these movements. And it's left at its, its, 
its holy state, the way that God would have that movement to be pursued. Revelation 3.18 puts it like this. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. God's saying gold refined in the fire. What it means is that if you shine a holy light on all those movements, all of the impurities will be taken out of it and it will be left pure. It will be left a real chunk of gold that says this is worth fighting for. This is worth pursuing. This is worth shouting from the rooftops. This is worth making a sign for. But there's a whole bunch of things that you added to it that have to be purged away. He says, do that and then I'll clothe you. Do that and then I'll give you eyes out that you can really see the real issue. So many are waving banners and waving flags and having this, this, these movements and uh, they, they probably need to be purified a little bit. So if you couldn't tell already this morning, we're going to be talking about Jonah. The week number five sign of the times is the big fish in a small pond. Big fish in a small pond. Our, our theme scripture has been Matthew chapter 16 about seeing these signs of the times. Verse 1 says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing Jesus, they asked him if he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. Stop there, verse 3. What we've been talking about is we don't pay attention to all these things that are going on around us. When I was looking at these videos on YouTube of 2017, it was actually convicting how quickly we could forget about Las Vegas. It was convicting. When you look at, uh, I think it was over 250 people died in the earthquake in, in, um, in Mexico. Then there was another one I didn't even hear about. I think it was in Iraq or Iran where 400 people died. It's a sign of the times that we don't care. And when we do care, we only care for a few minutes. And we really only care if it actually touched us because somebody we know died or somebody we know got shot. One of my coworkers had to hide. She was in Vegas at that concert thing and had to hide in a trailer to get through. So I have this constant reminder every time I see her, like, dang, she's, she's going through um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So someday she's there, someday she's not. Someday she comes in and she just can't stop crying. But otherwise, it wouldn't even affect me. Isn't that crazy? Think about the signs of the times that we live in. We've grown numb. Amen. Our issues are the issues of life. Right. My paycheck is the issue of life. My communication with my spouse is what it's all about. Jesus says, you hypocrite. You could, read the, you could read the skies. You could get the weatherman. You know when it's going to rain, but you don't know what's going on spiritually right in front of you. You don't know what's going on spiritually in your own home. You don't know what's going on spiritually with your own kids. He says, you got to wake up and see the signs of the times. Shouldn't have to wait till the end of the year to look back and say, oh, how, how should I feel about this year? Lord, stir up some emotion in me for what, what's taking place. So after those three verses, listen to what Jesus says in verse 3. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. 
So when Jesus was asked to give a sign to those who wanted him to prove, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, the things that you're telling us are true, he said, first of all, he told them, you should be able to read the other spiritual signs. I don't need to give you another sign. Read the ones that you've already seen. Look at what's happened in 17. Look at what happened in 16, 15. Go back, and you should be able to read the signs of the times and tell what world you live in. Then he said, the only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, and then we're going to see what that really means, right? I think most of us have heard the story, but I think we're going to look a little bit closer this morning and see what that sign was that Jesus was telling them that they were going to see. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So God tells Jonah to protest. I want you to go into the city. It's a great city. I want you to go over there, and I want you to cry out to them. Have a picket sign and begin to tell people about wickedness. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from, from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. Say his God. His God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? It was like his gang name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's on and cracking. What are you doing, sleeper? <laughs> Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. In, my, in our Matthew study, we talked about what does it mean to cast lots? They cast lots for Jesus' clothing, right? It's like, uh, like gambling or, or playing, the, playing with cards, playing with chances. They said, look, we're going to cast lots. Everybody's going to get a stick, right? And whoever has the short stick, it's your fault that we're in this situation. That's what they're deciding to do to figure out why is this ship about to sink, it says here in verse 8, or excuse me, in verse 7, so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Say Hebrew. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea 
ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah is a man on the run. You've got this group of people who are trying to save their lives, and what do they do? Oh, we're going to pray, God, you're God, save us. Don't let us die because of him. We're going to make vows and offerings to you now that the, the winds have stopped. Jonah, this man on the run, in verse 3, it says, he went down to Joppa to find a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them from the presence of the Lord. Here's the challenge for, for the Christians in the room. Once you've been in the presence of the Lord, some of us cannot imagine being anywhere else, right? It's like, man, I, I've tasted, I've seen, I've felt God. Like, how can I be anywhere else? Especially for long periods of time, right? It's not that you feel guilty for missing church. It's like, man, there's something special about being in that place. When a woman gets up and testifies about prayer and what God was doing, many of us have been in that place before, and you're like, man, I felt that, and I want that, and I need that, and I value that. But that's not everybody. Some people attempt to run from God, even once you've tasted and seen, and here's the moral to the story, you can't escape him. <laughs> you could try, but once you've tasted and once you've seen, even if you want to pretend as if he's not real or he's not there or I don't need to go to prayer or I don't need to be in church, your heart longs for it. Your soul longs for it. You can't get it out of your mind. It gives me peace at the end of a year when I think about all the losses that I've experienced in 2017, when I think about all the failure, when I think about the broken friendships, when I think about the people who've left the church, right? If, if my issues are the issues, it can be overwhelming and it can be aggravating, it can be frustrating and I can be like, you know what? Screw it and screw everybody. But when I realize that my issues are not the issues. It's really about God, and they can't escape God. Amen. You can escape a friendship, and you can escape a church, and you can escape services, but it don't matter where you go, you cannot escape God. That's right. Amen. Jonah thought he could get away. You can't get away. Another thing I've learned is that true love isn't as easy to come by as people think, Right? A lot of us don't realize that we're being loved until we get separated from that, right? Whether that's your relationship with God, hopefully your relationship within a church, right? Sometimes you feel like, man, I'm not loved here. I'm not cared for here. I'm not considered here. And then go, go be away for a while. And then you're like, dang, they really did love me. <laughs> they really did care about me. In a different way than what the world has to offer to us. Verse 5, in addition to saying that he was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, David said it best. He was like, I can't, I can't escape you. If, if I go to heaven, there you are. Even if I go to hell, you come with that reckless love and you come get me. I can't escape you. Amen. Everybody's freaking out on the ship. They're trying to figure out why they're, <laughs> they're going to die and the ship's going to be broken up. It says, Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, laid down, and he was fast asleep. Running from God and sleeping well don't last. <laughs> like in the beginning, you know how it feels. You're like, I ain't going to church. And you sleep in. Like it feels good the first couple of weeks. 
I ain't giving no more. I don't care. And it feels good that extra money in your pocket for the first couple weeks. But eventually that dream sleep that you're in becomes a nightmare. <laughs> Think about it. When he was down there, he was like, look, I don't even care that, that everything is raging outside. I'm going far from where God told me to go. I'm going far from what he told me to do. And he's fast asleep. That dream turns into a nightmare, people. What was it for the other people on the ship? The mariners in verse 5, it says they were afraid. Every man cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea, and they tried to <coughs> excuse me, lighten the load. <coughs> excuse me. Fear is what causes people to cry out to their God. Everybody has a God. They might not call him God. They might not consider him a God. They might not think that they're worshiping. But when we get afraid, we call out to our God. If you're, if you're afraid of loneliness, you'll call out to a man or you'll call out to a woman, and that's your God. If you're afraid of being broke, you'll call out to a job, and that'll be your God. You'll go there all the time and make as much money as you can, and that'll be your God. Whatever it is that, that you're afraid of, you are going to call out to and you're going to cry out to that God. When they were afraid that the ship was going to sink, it says that every single man on that ship started crying out to their God. Maybe my God can help us. <clears throat> their gods are little fish. But because of fear, they turn them into the big fish of their life. If you think about the people who were up here protesting, you think about the hundreds of protests that are going on right now all over the world, what that is is a little fish that they've turned into a big fish God. What matters most is America. What matters most is our security. What matters most is our borders. What matters most is, is the flag. Those are important things, but they're little fish. But think about how many people have made that their big God. That gives them purpose. That gives them a destiny. That gives them something to be passionate about. And they cry out to that God because without it, there's no hope for them. There's no joy for them. There's no love for them. There's no direction for them. And then you apply that same thing to all these other little fish. And it sounds to me like these men who are on the ship. It's starting to fall apart. It's not going as they, how they planned it to go. All right, who's my God going to be? What ships have we sailed that we've turned into the end all and the be all of our lives? <clears throat> we have to save this ship. We got to get to our destination. <laughs> There's something we got to accomplish. It's all, it's all falling apart, but we've got to make this work. And it says that when they get to that place, they start throwing other things overboard. Right? Because this is getting in the way. Like, I might sink because I have all this other stuff in the ship. Let me throw this stuff off so what I really care about, I make sure that we make it. And I make sure that I have this thing. Think about what they might have been throwing overboard. There's another, another story where something similar happened on a ship that Paul was on. But they're throwing the food overboard. I don't even care if I get to eat, because right now all that matters is this ship being light enough to weather this storm. What have you thrown overboard over the years that was actually probably pretty valuable because of the little God that you made a big God in your life? We've thrown people over. We've thrown family over. We've thrown friends over. We threw jobs over because we were mad at the boss. It's like, man, that was a good, you needed that one. <laughs> but our vision, our issues being the issues of life, cause us, us to throw stuff overboard. 
Here's the reality, at a young age, I know it's true for me, I know it's true for many of you, I threw God and church and the Bible, that got thrown off the ship like at 11 or 12. It wasn't important to me. I had a different God. I had different priorities. I had different direction that I wanted to go in, so I could just throw that stuff overboard. Think back to where you were or around what age you were when you threw that overboard. And how many people we love and care about right now, if you look at their situation or circumstance, I know it might be a little bit tough this morning, but think of them on their ship crying out to their God, but they've thrown over the God of gods and the real big fish. They threw that overboard a long time ago. It's not even an option to them. This is what happens when we have that initial throwing over of the spiritual things that matter. Verse 8 and verse 9 of Jonah 1. They come to Jonah... And they say to him, please tell us, for what causes this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you of? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So think about it now. To the people who have thrown God overboard, the person who actually knows God and loves God is the problem. Does that make sense this morning? They know it's like, who are you? Where did you come from? I'm a Hebrew. I love God, the God of heaven and earth. So my trouble with my God on my boat is your fault because of you and your God. It's the signs of the times, church. People hate Christians, and they believe that they're suffering because of Christians. That gender equality sign, who is the greatest enemy to their God? Christ. And Christians. How many movements at the end of the day blame the Christian view of life and of love, of truth, for the struggles that they experience, for the battles that they have to fight in society? One of the hardest things I think to overcome is that initial time where things actually get better when you throw the things of God overboard. It's hard to talk to people. Like, I remember when I threw, uh, like, sobriety overboard. Because that's a Christian thing. Like, what do you mean I can't drink? What do you mean I can't get high? What do you mean I can't just hook up with whoever I want to hook up with? When you throw that stuff overboard, like, that initial weeks and months and years sometimes, like, it's good. Like, you don't feel any remorse about doing anything. And it feels good. That's a hard thing to overcome. Think about it. For all the people, myself included, and many of you, hopefully, if you're honest this morning, when you threw that stuff overboard initially, it felt good for a while. Like doing things without having to feel bad about it. And then that's where these liberation movements come from. Listen, if you just get rid of God and you just throw that overboard, you can be set free. You can really enjoy your life. You can really enjoy your body. You can really enjoy this earth. You can really enjoy your mind. You can really enjoy other people. That's a lie, but in the beginning, it, it seems true, and it feels true. When they threw Jonah overboard, what happened initially? The wind ceased. <laughs> the sea calmed. So it has to be true. It's God and the people of God that are screwing this thing up. 
Here's the reality though, what we see as freedom, it's really bondage and after a certain amount of time, we realize that that promise of more and more freedom turned out to be a lie, right? Like right now, the, the, the sea calmed and the wind stopped and we've been liberated from this man of God and the things of God and our life got better. But give it six months. Yep, give it six years. That's right. And all that freedom and liberality that was promised to us for throwing that overboard, it never turned out to be what we were promised. I'm actually worse off now than I was in the beginning. I thought I was being set free mentally and physically and emotionally. And now I'm bound to these things. And now I'm more depressed than I ever was to begin with. <clears throat> there's always another storm, church. See, right now when there's that storm and you feel like, man, if we just get rid of Jonah and we get rid of this whole God thing and it calms down, please believe me, there's another storm coming eventually you throw everything out and you're the only thing left in there. I remember that's kind of how I got saved is that I always thought it was everybody else's fault until it was just me. I didn't have anybody else left. I was like, dang it, maybe it's me. <laughs> I threw everything and everyone else out. I'm the only thing left. So that's the storm for the unsaved, right? Let's just get rid of this saved guy. Let's get rid of this, this God stuff and the God of heaven and earth. But what about the storm for those who are saved? And that's Jonah's story within this, right? <coughs> chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed. So now Jonah went from sleeping in the dream state at the bottom of a ship, going away from where God wants him to be. Remember, he was sleeping. And where does he wake up? In a nightmare. He's been thrown overboard, and he's drowning. The dream don't last when you run from God. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. I think it's powerful in chapter two here. Some of the things that we were just talking about uh, this morning as we started service. Remember the Lord it says, I prayed and my prayers went up to you in your temple. It says that, uh, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. We've been talking about when we come into a worship service, that's an offering, that's a sacrifice. We worship the Lord with our voices, thanking him for who he is. And then it says, I'll pay what I have vowed. God doesn't take your money. God doesn't need your money. But you vowed, Lord, because of who you are, what you've asked of me, I give freely. I make a promise to you that before Uncle Sam gets his, I'm going to give you yours. Before I get those new kicks and she gets what she wants for Christmas and they get what they want for Christmas, we will not dishonor you. Yeah. 
says, when he got all those things back in order, he cried out, salvation is of the Lord, and the Lord spoke to the fish. So Jonah had been saved from the treacherous waters, but because he chose to go backwards and away from God and not to listen to God, he found himself drowning. He's, he's literally thrown off of this ship because he wanted to go in the wrong direction. Verse 3 it says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Your billows and your waves passed over me. Anybody ever almost drown? <clears throat> I think it might have been an angel that saved me when I almost drowned. Because I think anybody who really saved somebody's life would probably want to stick around and like get the glory for it. But I remember being, I must have only been about seven or eight years old, Huntington Beach. Still hate that place. And my cousin, we were swimming in, in the ocean, and my cousin was right by me, you know, on her little boogie board, and I said, I'm drowning, help. And she just paddled right by me. And I remember specifically the feeling of like, I've never given up on anything in my life, especially at that age. Like I was just the most competitive kid that you could ever think of. I remember like fighting for air and fighting to stay up, and I remember the moment when I just said, I don't have anything left. And I gave up, literally gave up, put my hands up in the air, and I watched myself go into the water. Seven or eight years old. And God, in the form of a Huntington Beach lifeguard, <laughs> reached down, grabbed me, literally right after I gave up, reached down, grabbed me, took me to the shore, threw me on the sand, and went on about his business. Didn't even look for me or my parents or anything like that. <laughs> That's why when I think back now, I was like, man, maybe that was just the Lord, honestly. <laughs> Here's the moral to that story. <laughs> All these years later, when, when I gave my life to the Lord, it was very similar to that experience where it took all the fight that I have to fight for everything I wanted for as long as I could. And when I finally gave up, that's when I got saved. Yes. Right? But what I also realized is that the storm was more powerful than I ever thought I could be. No matter how hard I tried to fight against those waves, no matter how much I thought like I was, I was going to be able to get to the shore, the water was going to overcome me. Sometimes the worst circumstances that we face as Christians are actually the best thing that could have happened to us. As you look back at 2017, like, like Julia said, all these posts about people say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like, I can't wait for you to be gone. If that's because you had a rough year and you went through some storms, please believe me that maybe that was the best thing for you. Maybe that was ordained by God to put you where you needed to be to get you going back in the direction that you needed to go. He says... In verse 6, I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. If he hadn't have been in the worst situation and circumstance of his life, he wouldn't have cried out to God. He would have kept going away from God. God is blessing us with trials and tribulations. That's why these crazy scriptures that say count it all joy when you fall into various trials, that seems crazy to the world. But if you've ever been running from God and you keep getting tripped up and you keep getting bumps and bruises and bloodied, at the end you're like, dang, God, thank you for making it hard to run away from you. Amen. 
in his most desperate place, that's when he called out to God and God heard him. Think about this for a second, though. You would think that when God hears him, he's like, oh, God, you heard me and you're going to save me and I'm going to be miraculously transported to the shore. Nah. (laughs) He didn't miraculously transfer him to the shore. He put him into a stinky, dirty, smelly fish. God's like, you're going to sit in one place. You're not going to be able to move. You're going to have to deal with stinking, rotting flesh inside of this thing that's, that's uh, what's, what's the word, digesting the fish that it ate. Like, it's not a comfortable place to be inside the fish. But that's what we get when we run. You get saved out of the running, but sometimes you have to sit in a place of uncomfortability. But here's the thing. You're uncomfortable. It stinks. There's dead fish around you. But you're not drowning anymore. (laughs) You're not going to die anymore. The power of the sea is not overcoming you anymore. Some of us need to thank God as we finish uh, 2017 for an uncomfortable place. I don't know everybody's situation and circumstance. Some of you are sitting on the shore somewhere saying, God, I'm, I'm doing what you told me to do. Others are asleep in the bottom of a ship that's going the wrong direction. <laughs> Others are sitting in the middle of the belly of a fish and you stink. But wherever you are, you need to take inventory and know where you are and be thankful. It's definitely better to be in that fish than it is to be in the bottom of that ship, sleep. That perspective is the difference between having a big fish and giving your life to these little fish. Jonah 2.8, he said, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. He's like, these little fish are preventing you from receiving the salvation of God. You put your hope into this movement. You put your hope into whatever you think is going to give you purpose and direction. And you forsake your own mercy. Don't give your life to a little fish movement in 2018. Don't forsake the mercy of God, the love of God. The big fish movement says that the Lord uh, is the only one that can save us and the ship can't save us. Matthew 7, 24 puts it like this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and, he do, and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and they beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Moral to the story, the storm is coming. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're the Jonah on the ship or if you're the other people on the ship. The storm is coming. It's going to hit your house in 2018. We can't escape it. God doesn't tell us that you're going to have uh, perfect weather year-round. He says, build on the rock so that you can survive when the storm comes. Jonah 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now he's been spit out of the fish. He's learned some lessons, right? 
It came to him a second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh. Some of you guys are going to get the same instructions for 2018 that God gave you on January 1st of 2017. Because if you don't do what he told you to do, he's not going to change the instructions. He's going to say, for a second time, do whatever it is that I told you to do. That's why obedience is so important. Some of us in 2019 are going to hear the same thing we heard in 2018 and in 17 and in 16. Just do it. Say, just do it. Like Nike. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Yes. According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. What that means is it would take you three days to walk across this city. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he, that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and tell all these people that God will judge and that you need to turn and you need to repent. But a miracle happened when he actually went. They turned. They repented. They fasted. They prayed. Ms. Peach just talked about leading a prayer ministry and God telling her, it's not enough that you pray all the time. It's not enough that you hear from me and you're willing to lead other people in that direction. I want you to fast. Not even drink water. A couple sips when you get really thirsty. But something miraculous came on Friday, just like something miraculous came here in Nineveh. In 2018, I believe that we can see people repent and turn to God. If that's the big fish of our life, though, right? If, If the big fish of your life has nothing to do with the salvation and repentance and forgiveness of other people, then you probably won't see it. I love this church. I love you guys. We watch you get married. We do counseling. We do youth events. We do retreat. We do all this kind of stuff, but that's not the big fish. It's an important fish. When the light of God is shined on it and it's the way that it's supposed to be, it's important. It's valuable. Women's fellowship and Bible studies, men's meetings, right? Couples nights out. Get on the calendar. Look at all the stuff that's coming up. But please don't ever mistake that as the big fish of what God has called us to do here. What God has called us to do here are people who are dying right now today in the last day of 2018, whether they know it or not, they are on a ship that is going down. Our job is to tell them and give them the only life wrap that can save them. I believe that can happen in 2018. But not if everybody has a different big fish. (laughs) It's possible. But God wants us to be a people that have hope and faith and love. 
Repentance is the kryptonite of sin. Like, I used to be a stone cold sinner. I know a lot of stone cold sinners. And, and to be honest with you, sometimes we get a little jaded and we don't believe they're going to change. Somebody say amen. amen. It's okay to tell the truth. We don't believe sometimes that our people are going to change, but we can't be like that. Repentance is kryptonite against sin. If they would repent, they'll overcome and overpower that sin in the power of Christ. Yeah. Repentance renders sin powerless. It reverses the process of death. If we just stop and say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I know that it's wrong. Help me. Yeah. Sin loses all its power. Yeah. I was thinking about it this week, reflecting on 2017. I've been saved for, I don't know, 13 or 14 years, somewhere around there. And I was thinking about some of the things that I still do today that just don't honor God. And I kept thinking about it, like, Lord, why after all these years does that happen? And you know what the Lord told me? And if you're taking notes, this might be a good word for you. He said, you, you behave, you're behaving in a way that is connected to the man that you used to be. You don't have to do that anymore. And it just made a whole lot of sense to me. Like when you get saved and you get changed, you get transformed, you get born again, you have a new life. But our own minds will act as if that hasn't happened. And like, you know, we pray about it. We do Jericho walks about it. We do all that. And God made it real simple. He's like, just stop. That's not you. You're behaving that way, but, but that's you behaving that way. That sin no longer has any power over you. You've repented. You've been changed. You don't have to live that way. When we repent, we see the truth about the little fish. We see the truth about the little fish movements of life. <clears throat> so this coexist movement that we talked about, once you've seen it as a little fish instead of the big fish movement of your whole life, coexist begins to look like, man, there's a lot of people who believe a lot of different things, and we're going to love them into the knowledge of the truth about who Jesus Christ is. That's when, when it's been purged and the light of God has been shined on it. You don't say we hate all Muslims and we hate all people who are witches and we hate all these other things. We know that it's contrary to God, but that doesn't do anything. What, ha what we have to say is, Lord, how would you shine a light and purge this situation? So it's no longer the big fish movement of their lives and it's no longer something we avoid, but we get right in lockstep with you and say they want spirituality. They want a higher power. They need to know the truth about who God is. Equality. We can tell you the truth about your value and your worth and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Our astrology one and the stars and all that kind of stuff. We can tell you who made those stars. We can tell you where they're supposed to lead you. I want to close with a warning to those of us that uh, would call yourself a Christian and call yourself a big fish believer. Jonah gives us a good warning at, at the end here. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. God just delivered, right? All these people repented and they prayed and God didn't destroy them like he said he was. Listen to how chapter 4 starts. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. The Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is, a, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Jonah's upset because God showed grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh. Think about this for a second. <laughs> Jonah's angry because God didn't smoke them. He was like, they're evil. I didn't want to go there. I told you I didn't want to go. And listen to what he said. And I knew that if I went, they'd repent and not have to pay the price that I want them to pay. Be careful, Christian. Do we really have hope for people or do we want them to pay? Sometimes we don't reach out to people and we don't invite them to church because we want them to get what they deserve. Even our fellow Christians, when we see them acting a fool, do we really pray, God, have grace on them? God, have mercy on them. God, restore that relationship. God, help them. Or do we say, watch, they're going to get what they deserve. Yeah. I told them not to do that. I told them not to do that. I told them not to do that. Watch, 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 watch. It's crazy. And listen to, listen to how God puts it to Jonah. He's like, Jonah, Jonah. I feel like God talks to Jonah like he talks to me, but also like I talk to my children. We're like, you just know stuff, and you, you almost don't even want to open your mouth because you're so upset with your kids. I was telling Mary how lately, like it might not seem like it, but I probably only say about 10% of the stuff I really want to say <laughs> to my children. But he's like, Jonah, don't act like I didn't save you when I saved you. Jonah, don't act like you weren't just drowning in the ocean and got thrown overboard, and I saved you again, and now... You want me to blast people instead of giving them the same mercy and grace that I gave you? What's 2018 going to look like for us Christians? God, I ain't even going to do nothing because I know how you are. I don't want them to be blessed. So I'm not going to tell them about your blessings. I don't want them to be forgiven because I had to pay. I had to sit in the belly of a fish. I want them to sit in some fish's bellies. This is something that I've struggled with, and I'll be honest with you guys as a pastor. The infinite love of God, but being a preacher who wants people to understand the seriousness of sin and obedience to God. Like, I know who he is. He just loves and loves and loves. He's gracious and he's merciful. But at the same time, you don't want somebody who you love and somebody who's so gracious and merciful to be abused. 
I get mad with my own wife because she's so kind and she's so like graceful with people that she gets abused a lot. And I, watch my words, Lord. It makes me angry. But then when you compare that to God, he's perfect. Mary ain't perfect. God is perfect and all loving and people just abuse him. You can't just do whatever you want to do. You can't just act however you want to act. You can't just live however you want to live and say, oh, but he's good and he's gracious. No, I can't stand it. But then I become like Jonah. God, give them what they deserve. God, make them pay. Why you let them off the hook? Why are you being merciful? Why are you being kind and loving? And then to show Jonah, he's like, look, even though you're running from me again and you go outside the city because you want to see it destroyed, God made a plant come over him and, and give him shade for his head. Even the little things like we heard earlier, right? A plant went over his head. The next morning, the plant was removed, and now he's burning. And God's like, you can't even live one day if I don't provide for you. Your circumstances will overcome you in literally one day if I don't provide for you. How could you ever act that way with this city of 120,000 people? I'm praying for the heart of God to be alive in me. I'm praying for the heart of God to be alive in you guys. I'm praying that you might consider your tithe, right? A worthwhile investment into somebody in a city of 120,000 coming to know God that doesn't know him. I'm praying that you would look at an outreach next year if you didn't make a single one all year and say, you know what, Lord, maybe actually going out like Jonah had to go to Nineveh and you kept telling him and telling him and telling him that maybe I'm going to have to go out and actually give a flyer out. I'm praying that we might see it and say, you know what, there's people that I'm actually frustrated with right now. As women, you might have a girlfriend or a family member or a sister or a mother or a daughter that you are frustrated with right now. I'm praying that you would have what God was trying to get into Jonah to say, you know what, none of that matters. Come with me to women's Bible study. Like what we're doing is it's the big fish. It's the big fish. Don't waste your life with the little fish. The real sign of the times is and always has been and always will be the infinite love of God. We had a lot of pictures. Can you put this one up for us, Ray? A lot of pictures and a lot of images. Uh, this is the one. His love is, his love is infinite. In 2018, there's nothing his love can't overcome. There's nothing his love can't do. There's nobody too far gone. Nobody's rubbed you so wrong, right, Amen. that they can't be forgiven. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be praying that we would be restored. We should be praying that they would be forgiven. Amen. They don't have to get right with us. Let's let them get right with God. Amen. They don't have to make up for it. What, what a blessing. I'm going to close. What a blessing it is, though, to know this. Whoever's done you wrong at the end of 2017, you have one more day. Did you know that you could release them? That they could go into 2018 free and clear? Right? Like, it's not that you have to apologize to me. It's not that you have to make up for what you've done. It's not that you have to repay me for what you've taken. I just want to tell you you're free and clear. You may have other debts. You may have other burdens. But as far as you and I are concerned, I love you and you're completely forgiven. What a gift that you could give somebody to send them away free and clear? Or are we going to spend another year hoping people get what they deserve and have to pay back what they owe? Man, if God did us like that, where would we be? Where would we be? You know what he says to you today? Everything you did in 2017, I send you away free and clear.
you don't have to pay me back. <laughs> you don't have to make up for it. All you have to do is repent and I'll give you grace for every single day, all 365 of them, even all the days before that. Last scripture. It doesn't seem like it in this story, but this story is obviously a story of grace. Romans 9, 14, when it talks about God and this kind of grace, it says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? How can he let this happen? How can he just forgive people? Certainly not. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. I'll forgive who I want to forgive. I'll love who I want to love. I'll be compassionate with who I want to be compassionate with. I'll forgive who I want to forgive. It has nothing to do with you and how you're living and what you're doing and what you deserve and what they deserve. I'm God. I do what I want to do. Infinite love, infinite grace, infinite mercy. Matthew 16, 14. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. I want you to think about this. The story of Jonah is a story of grace and mercy for the saved and grace and mercy for the unsaved. When Jesus walks away from the church in the New Testament and they're asking for a sign, he says, I'm not giving you a sign except the sign of Jonah. It doesn't seem like it, but he's giving them amazing grace. He's saying for the saved who are here and for the unsaved who are here, I'm going to give you the same sign that you should have got from Jonah. You can repent and be forgiven of everything. The church is about to crucify God, and all you have to do is turn, and I'll forgive you. So last picture, there's this uh, uh, grace that we've been talking about with this dove, the same dove that you see in our praying in the spirit service. Would you believe this? You know what Jonah's name means? It means grace. Jonah means grace. The last thing you would think of when you read what you guys have now read, the whole book of Jonah, so chalk that off your list. You did a whole book in 2017. It doesn't seem like grace if you look at it. At first glance, it doesn't seem like, like grace, but that's because we also consider some of these things that we saw this morning big fish. When you see the real big fish and you see the real big picture, you could see that Jonah means grace. You could see that Jesus came to give grace. And you could see that that's what he's offering you today and what he offers those that don't know him uh, next year. When we come back, man, tell somebody the message. God's not going to stop telling you to tell somebody else. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Why don't we stand? I just want to close in prayer. For the last time in 2017, my prayer for, for everybody here is that, uh, that grace is not just for the unsaved. That grace is for Christians. I want us all to experience the grace and the mercy and the love of God in a way that compels you to, uh, to understand that that grace is costly. We can't just take the grace of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God and act like it's just some normal everyday thing. It cost him everything, the life of his son, his seed in heaven. He paid all that so that we could enjoy that grace and that love and that mercy. So I pray that we feel it, that we know it, but also that it compels us to live lives that honor him, to treat each other in a way that honors him, to, uh, 
to seek after the lost in a way that honors him for that grace and for that mercy and for that love. So bow your heads with me. <clears throat> Lord, before we do anything else, Lord, we just want to extend the invitation that, uh, that Jonah extended to the men and women of, of Nineveh, Lord God. They were there in that city. You call it a great city, Lord God. Three days' journey to get across it. And to them, it was just another day. They had no idea about this ship. They had no idea about these people who were throwing things overboard. They had no idea about Jonah being on it and wrestling with you and running from you and doing all these things, Lord God. But that particular day, Lord, Jonah showed up and he called them to repent. Your word says that they did repent, Lord, and that you relented. This morning, Lord, if there's any here who didn't know that today would be the day, Lord, that you extended an invitation to repent, who didn't understand that the big fish of their lives, Lord God, is, is not the issues they've been wrestling with, Lord, and the, the areas they've been putting their focus and what they've been passionate about. It's about you and about salvation, about forgiveness and about mercy, God. We just want to give them that opportunity this morning, Lord. Maybe they threw the idea of you overboard a long time ago. Maybe they threw church overboard. Maybe they threw the Bible overboard, Lord God. But you've sent, you've sent your sons, you've sent your daughters to them this morning to return it. That they could value it from this day forward, Lord God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not the biggest thing in your life, he's not the center of your life, he's not the focus of your attention He's not the thing that you wake up in the morning thinking, oh God, I can't believe you saved me. I was drowning and you reached down and you grabbed me. I was overcome and you saved me. Today and the last day of 2017, that can all change for you. You can start, you can end this year and you can start next year as a true believer, as a Christian, as somebody who puts your faith in Jesus Christ. Everything will change for you, I promise you. He'll confirm who he is. You'll experience a new presence within you that words can't even describe. But you've got to make a decision the same way the people on the boat did and the people in Nineveh did. You have to make your own decision. If that's you this morning, you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to ask him to save you. You want to ask him for help. You want to repent. The Bible says that when they repented, that's when the Lord relented. There was no more judgment, no more condemnation. There was just grace and mercy. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just raise your hand. You want to repent. You want to ask God to come into your life. You want to be saved. Amen, I see you. Anybody else this morning? Amen, I see you. He'll forgive you. He loves you. All he has for mercy is mercy for you. Men and women, friends and family, They'll want to condemn you and they'll want you to pay for the life that you lived before today. But I promise you, you don't have to. You can be completely forgiven this morning. Anybody else? Amen. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man. God, you're so good.
You say that you know the end from the beginning, Lord God. You knew at the beginning of this year that this day, the last day, the end of the year, Lord God, that three would come to you, that three would repent, Lord God, that three would be forgiven, Lord. We pray for mercy upon them, Lord God. Whatever they've done, whatever decision they've made, whatever uh, uh, they've been involved in, Father God, we pray just your mercy and your forgiveness, Lord. Your word says that it's cast as far from them as the east is from the west, Lord God. All of heaven rejoices, and we rejoice with them, Lord God. Whatever we've been doing, the rest of us as a church, as men and women this morning, Father God, remind us that that's the little fish, that all that matters is people who were dead this morning are alive now, who didn't have your spirit alive inside of them, Lord. Your word says that you've sent your spirit to dwell within them now, Lord God. We thank you for that, Lord. Realign us. Refocus us. Let us see it the way that you see it, Lord God. I pray right now for those three, Lord. That the little fish of their lives, Lord God, they're still important. There's things they want to do, places they want to go, things they want to be involved in, family that they have, Lord God. I pray that you would shine your holy light in a way that purges out all of the impurities, Lord God, that they would see those little fish for what they truly are, Lord God, and that they would live in those areas in a way that honors you. Give them an understanding of your word, Lord God. Give them a fresh wind of your spirit, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to open the altars for the three of you. I'm going to make sure that we get a Bible into your hand, a new Bible into your hand, and, and give you a little bit of direction, hopefully, that we can be able to walk with you in your newness and in what God's doing in your life. So happy for you. But for the rest of us, we're going to open the altars for the last time. And I'm just going to come out and, and challenge you that you've got a few more minutes to end 2017 as, as a man or woman who goes to the altar. You start 2018 as a man or woman who goes to the altar. You get to establish new tendencies. You get to establish new characteristics about yourself. And it's one of those critical moments. Again, it's not about the activity of walking up here. It's about spiritually what God can do through that. So the prayer is, as we come to the altar... Lord, for those that would come, I pray that you would shine a light that shows them what the real issues of this life are, Lord God. There are so many movements. There are so many things that we can be activists for, Father God. There are so many things going on in our daily lives that can really begin to take all of our focus. And we can believe that those are the real issues of life, that those are the things that matter most. That those are the ships that we have to make sure that they don't sink, Father God. And we can just throw things overboard that we should have been holding on to, Lord. I pray for those that would come, Lord. That you would give us clarity, that you would give us vision, Lord God. Your word said that you would purge, that you would purify that gold, Lord God. You said that you would clothe us in your righteousness, Lord God. And you said that you would give us eyes, Sal, for our eyes that we would be able to see clearly, Lord. We want to enter into 2018 clearly seeing things the way that you see them, Lord God. Hearts broken for the lost, Father God. Praying for mercy instead of judgment for those that we know, Lord God. We end 2017 in repentance, Lord. And we start 2018 with expectancy, Lord. Have your way over your people, Lord. 
Have your way over our friends and our families, Lord God, our workplaces in 2018. Have your way over this church, Lord. Let it be a year of souls being saved. We love you. We thank you for 2017, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.